to those of you that are watching online and to all of you that are here again. Thank you for being here today. And, and we are in part four and the conclusion of a series that we called The Vow. And I know many of you have been with us throughout this series. And one thing I want to I make mention of, I want to do this today before we get into the, the fourth part and the conclusion of this series. I want to let you know, uh, as many of you know, we have incredible opportunities for you to use your gifts and, and talents and uh, be a part of serving here through the church and serving God by serving people and all of that. And one thing that I do want to make you aware of is if, if you haven't noticed, our church has been growing and when you look around the room today, you see that our church has been growing, but also on the other side of the building, our church has been growing. Can I get an amen, somebody? <laughs> so in our kids' ministry, and this is no joke, we, we usually have, I think the last few weeks, we've been averaging around 40 uh, kids on, on the other side of the building. So with that being said, what I'm, what I'm making you aware of today is right now on our iKids team, we currently have 22 people that serve on that team, which you would think that's a lot of people, 22 people. But what we need to do as a church is we need to take our iKids ministry to another level. Are you with me? Because we have kids, we have kids that we cannot afford to let them down. I don't think everybody heard me. We have, we have kids coming to Impact Church that we cannot afford. We cannot take lightly the fact that we have these kids that God has entrusted to us to steward and to teach and to train and to, to be in community with and all of those things, and we don't take it lightly as a church, I promise you. And so what I'm asking you to do is we've done the math, and for this season of our church, right now we have 22 people serving on our iKids team, and this is a team that you serve once a month, uh, either as a teacher or an assistant in, in different rooms. We can figure all that out later. But what we need to take our ministry to the next level is we need 34 people on our iKids team. So the magic number is 12. We need 12 more people to say, you know what, it's worth me spending an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half, one Sunday a month to be able to pour into these kids because I don't take it for granted. Are you with me? And so today, immediately after the service, we have a meeting with all of our iKids leaders and iKids team and all of those people. And if you, want, if you stand up today, and I believe this is going to happen today. I don't think this is going to be a problem. I think it's going to happen today. And if you're one of the 12, if you're one of the 12 and you say, you know what, that's me, I can, I can do that. I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do in this moment. Then today, after service, if you'll just meet with us in that meeting, and we'll get your information, and we'll figure out all those details and things like that, and we'll be able to give you a ton of information through that meeting. But I just wanted to make you aware, because a lot of times, if, we, if, if I don't say it, you don't know it. And a lot of times we think, well, things are working, and things are operating, and wow, it looks cool, and all this stuff is going on. But, but there, are still, there are still spots that you can get plugged in and make an impact in people's lives and serve God by serving people. Amen? So I encourage you with that. Be praying about that. Be thinking about that. Make that decision today so that you can be one of those 12 to take our, our iKids ministry to the next level so that we can effectively operate that ministry and, and make an impact in those kids' lives. Amen? All right, so we've been over the past few weeks in this series called The Vow, and what we've been trying to do is give single people the tools to be able to have a God-honoring marriage in the future and give married people the tools to strengthen their marriage. 
So we're trying to we're trying to help the single people out that maybe you want to be married one day. So you have the tools to know this is what a God-honoring marriage looks like. This is what I need to strive for. This is what I need to do. This is where I need to be looking. All of those different things. And for those of us that are already married, we're trying to equip you so that you can have a God-honoring marriage and you can strengthen the marriage that you have. And we've been stating a different vow each week uh, to live by in our marriages. And week one, we talked about the vow of priority. And we said this. We said that God is my one, my spouse is my two. That God is my one, my spouse is my two. And if you're not married yet, but you hope to be married one day, we said that your vow could be, I will seek the one while preparing for my two. So wherever you fall, in whichever category you fall into, it's always God is one, priority, God is one, and your spouse is your two. And then in week two, we talked about the vow of pursuit. We said, I promise to always pursue my two. We talked about how we pursue each other when we're in the dating relationship and when we're, we're, we're really going after each other and I don't have you yet. And so I'm pursuing you. But pursuit should not end at I do. That after you say I do and after you get married, the pursuit should stay there. You should still be planning things. You should still be doing things, special things for each other. You should always pursue you're too, because if the pursuit goes away, then a lot of times things go downhill and we don't feel appreciated. We don't feel like anybody cares. We don't, you know, then we start talking about things. Well, I think we're falling out of love and things like that. And a lot of that is just the factor that maybe God isn't your one and your spouse is your two. But even if it is, maybe you've stopped pursuing your two. And then last week, we talked about the vow of partnership. And we said this this was our vow that I promise my marriage will always be about we not about me. Our marriage will always be about we and not about me. When you get married, the two become one. And so it's now about us. It's now about we and not about me. And today as we end this series, I want to talk to you on this subject. I want to talk to you about the vow of purity. The vow of purity. If you're taking notes, that'll be the title for today's Message, And I want to start today with a few questions and get your participation. How many of you in the room are married? Let me see your hand. You're in the room today. You're married. Okay, how many of you are in the room? You're not married, but, you know, you hope to be married one day. Hopefully that's in your future. Let me see your hand. Okay, less people. We have a lot of married people. <laughs> now, how many of you who are married or who want to be married one day, how many of you plan on committing adultery one day? Let me see your hand. You plan on, well, I'm not married yet, but I plan on, you know, when I get married, that's something I want to do. I want to, you know, put that on the list, and I want to commit adultery one day. Or you're, you're married right now, and you think, you know, that's, that's, you know, that sounds like a great idea. That's what I think I should do. Any, <laughs> that's interesting. Well, let's, okay, let's take it down. Let's take it down a notch. <laughs> let's take it down just a little bit, because adultery, you know, that's just a, you know, we don't like that word. We don't like adultery. So let's take it. How many of you plan on Anybody that's married or, or you hope to be married one day, how many of you plan on having an emotional affair? Anybody plan on having an emotional affair? You're not, gonna, you're not really going to do anything. You're not going to act on anything. But you're just going to emotionally give your heart away to somebody else. Anybody? That's, that's on your... It's interesting. <laughs> nobody, nobody plans on having any kind of affair or committing adultery or doing anything 
in your marriage. Nobody wants to raise your hand, and the reason is because nobody wants to significantly harm their marriage with sin. Nobody sitting in here today is thinking, I want to harm my marriage by letting sin enter my marriage and doing something that I'll probably regret doing later. But in reality, people do this all the time. People do it all the time. We don't, we don't plan on it, but it happens all the time. And you can write this down, whether you're married or you're not. We don't have this on the screen, but I can say it two or three times so you can get it. It's difficult to build a marriage of righteousness on a foundation of sin. Let me say that again. It's difficult to build a marriage of righteousness on a foundation of sin. Let me say it this way. The way that we live today affects every area of our lives, especially the area of marriage. The, the things that you're doing right now that you don't think really matter, well, it's not that big a deal. It's not really a whole lot going on. You know, just I'm just kind of going with the flow, and we'll just see what happens and all this. The way that you live your life right now, what you're doing right now, what you're experiencing right now, the way that you're speaking right now, the things that you're doing right now, affect every area of your life, especially the marriage relationship. And I want us to look again. We've been looking at Genesis 2.24, and today we want to look there again. We also want to add in verse 25 today. This is Genesis 2.24 and 25. It says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. In this way, two people become one. The man and his wife were naked, but they were not ashamed. The man and his wife were naked. So we've been looking at this where you prioritize God first and your spouse second. You're in pursuit of each other. You're, you know, it's about you're joined together. It's about we now, and it's not about me anymore. And this word that we translate in this verse as ashamed at the very end, but they were not ashamed, is a word that literally means, literally means to feel completely worthless. So basically it's saying that the man and his wife were naked, but they did not feel completely worthless. There was no shame in the relationship. There was nothing for them to be ashamed of in the relationship. Before, See, before sin entered the world, there was no shame. There wasn't any, well, this is wrong, or I'm embarrassed, or what are we doing? There, was, there wasn't any of that. Before sin came into the world and brought shame into the world, there wasn't any, well, is this the right thing to do? Is this the, 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 there wasn't anything to be ashamed of. Of And you think about, I was thinking about my kids. We have four kids. And I was thinking about, especially our, our youngest boy right now. He's kind of getting out of this phase. But around the toddler phase, for those of you that have had kids, been through that, or you've, you know, even if you don't have kids, you've probably seen it. But what a, when you get a, a toddler around, a lot of times, especially when they get out of the bath, they'll just go streaking through the house, right? <laughs> I mean, there's, there's no shame. <laughs> they don't care what you think. They don't care. They just rather, you know, and a lot of times kids would rather run, run around in their underwear, you know, or you know, I don't want to put on any clothes. And sometimes it's a game to them, and they're just running around naked, and there's no shame, and you can't catch them, and you can't get them, and they're slippery because they just got out of the bath. There, there's no, when, when, a, when a kid is doing that, when a child is doing that, there's no, they don't feel any shame. There's no shame. But when the devil came and he tempted Eve and Eve gave in and Adam was there, come on, we're hard on the women because, well, if, if Eve hadn't eaten the apple, well, let me just tell you something. If Adam was standing there and didn't say anything, 
And is it more of it on him than on her? So Eve's there, and she gets tempted, and she gives in, but the man's standing right there beside her. That's what the Bible tells us. As soon as she ate it, she handed it to him. <laughs> like, I'm going to eat this apple, and whew, here you go. I know you're just right here beside me. And he does nothing about it, nothing to lead her in any way. Sin enters the world, and so does shame. And then we see in Genesis 3, verses 7 through 10, you can follow along here. It says, then it was as if their eyes opened, and they saw things differently. They saw that they were naked. So they got some fig leaves, sewed them together, and wore them for clothes. During the cool part of the day, the Lord God was walking in the garden. The man and the woman heard him, and they hid among the trees in the garden. The Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? The man said, I heard you walking in the garden, and I was afraid. I was naked, so I hid. I was naked. All of a sudden, I realized shame came to the world, and I realized maybe this is wrong. Maybe this is, and, and, and I start feeling ashamed, and so I hid from you. And this is what happens today. You think about, think about a kid, and you, you come across a kid, and they have chocolate just all over their face, okay? And you ask them, it's like, did you sneak in there and get the chocolate? No. <laughs> no, I didn't sneak in there and get the chocolate. Uh-uh. No, that was my brother who got in there and got the, you know, no, I didn't, I didn't sneak in there and get the chocolate. Or you have a, you know, you have a toddler and you're trying to go through the potty training stage and you see them and they're making that face and you know what face I'm talking about if you've been there and you look at them and you're like, are you pooping in your diaper? <laughs> and what is it, you know, normally it's like, you know, they start, <laughs> they start backing into a corner <laughs> You know, it's like they're, they're ashamed of what they've done. And so, and we see this happen all the time. We even see this as adults, this happens to us. And it's a little bit differently, but here's, here's some things. Are you in a place where you need help? No. No. Uh-uh. No. I don't need, mm -mm. I don't need any help. I don't need any help. I'll just, I'll fix it. I'll fix it on my own. I don't need any help. Are, are you being... Are you being tempted to do something? Are you being tempted, you know, to give in to something that you've struggled with? But no, no, and we're we're trying to cover up and hide. No, no, I'm not. You know, I'm not. No, I'm holy. No, I'm not tempted to do anything. Or we get asked this question: Is there anything that you need to? Anything you need to talk about? Anything you need to tell me about? Anything that's going on? It no, everything's perfect. No, I don't have, there's no, no, no struggles. <laughs> nothing that I'm, nothing that I'm, we do this as adults. We try to hide from things in our life. And we end up hiding because we feel shame. So we do something wrong and then we feel shame. And let me tell you this, you need to get this today, that shame is the devil's tool for connecting the act to the identity. So shame is the tool that the enemy uses to connect what you do to who you are. And so he'll say things to you like this, and you'll think, that you'll think these thoughts, you know, it's not an audible voice, but you'll have these thoughts going through your mind. Well, because, because I did something bad, I'm bad. Because I, because I gave into that three years ago and did that, now I'm just dirty. 
Because, and see, this is shame. This is, what, this is what the enemy does. He connects. He tries to connect and use shame to connect what, an action with your identity. And because you did something bad, therefore, you are bad. Because you did something bad, you are bad. And this is what he does all the time. So what we do in our marriages is we hide. Well, I can't let you know what I did because I'm bad. Well, I, I, I can't let you see where I struggle because then you won't love me the way that you've loved me before because you always thought I was perfect. And if I tell you where I'm struggling, then you won't love me. And so we hide in our relationships. Well, I can't let you know what I'm going through because we wouldn't have the trust that we have now. You know, it's going to break It's gonna break trust. I can't let you know what I'm going through because I need you to, like, I don't want you to know that because then you might not trust me. Then you might, then you might start thinking other things. Then all these things. And so we hide in our relationships. And so instead of living in intimacy with truth, we live in secrecy. And here's something you need to write down. Secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. Secrecy is the enemy of of intimacy. So what is our vow for this week? We've said God is my one, my spouse is my two, I promise to always pursue my two, I promise our marriage will always be about we and not me, and here's what we're saying today. I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. And here's what Here's what I need you to understand, what I need all of us to understand today. It's this idea of darkness and light. And I'm going to try to do my best to, to illustrate this for you so that we can all get it today. That if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, whatever term you use, if you're a follower of Jesus, before you were a follower of Jesus, you were in darkness. Everybody with me so far? Before you gave your life to Jesus, you're in darkness. Then you, then you give your life to Jesus, and now you become light. So this transformation happens. I'm, I'm in the dark over here because I don't know Jesus, but now I've entered into a personal relationship with Jesus, and I've given my life to him. And so he brought me over here, and now I'm in the light. I'm not in the darkness anymore. But, but here's, here's what we have a tendency to do a lot of times. Even though we're in the light, we have a tendency to creep back over into the darkness. We, we creep back over into the darkness. We step back into the darkness sometimes. Think about, it, think about it from this perspective. Anybody like going to the movies? I love going to the movies. I love, you know, it doesn't even have to be a good movie. I just want the popcorn and the cherry Coke. Come on, can I get an amen, somebody? <laughs> that's all I'm there for anyway. If the movie's good, then that's just the bonus, right? <laughs> so, so think about going into the movie theater. You, you go from... You're in the hallway, and it's light. You can see. And then you walk in that door, and you walk into the movie theater, and even if the movie hasn't even started, it's still pretty dark, but especially if you got there late, it's dark. And you walk in, and you're stumbling around trying to find a seat, you know, especially if it's us with our kids, and we're trying to find a place, you know, for six people to sit, right? And so you, you walk in from the lighted hallway into the dark movie theater, and initially, you're shocked by the darkness. Are you still with me? 
when you initially walk out of the lighted hallway and you open the door and you walk into the movie theater and you're trying to find it, you're like, you can't see. I've just been in the light and it's dark in here and I can't see the chairs. I can't see what I, where I'm going. I don't know. And I'm shocked by the darkness until my eyes adjust. And when my eyes adjust to the darkness, then it doesn't seem as dark anymore. <laughs> when we're in the light and we first step into darkness, we're like, oh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I should be doing that. Something just doesn't feel right about that. Something, you know, th- and there's something inside of you, the Holy Spirit, that's saying, I don't think you need to get out of this situation. You don't need to be here right now, whatever it is. And you're initially shocked by the darkness, but if you hang out long enough in the darkness, your eyes will adjust. And it's not going to seem as dark anymore. So so one year from now you've been in that same you've been in that same position or that same situation and a year from now you don't think this this doesn't feel as bad as what it used to. Well now now we're trying to justify it. <laughs> well, it's not as dark as it was. Well, I can see a little bit now. You know, I'm just kind of navigating through it and no, I'm not going to do anything. We're just we're just kind of in this situation and you stay there long enough and you start to adjust to the darkness. And sometimes what happens to us even as Christians is that we step back into the darkness and we don't realize we're in the darkness because our eyes have adjusted to it. And we can't see really what's going on or something in our lives that maybe we need to make a shift in or make a change in because we've adjusted to the darkness. And sometimes in our marriage, we don't realize why things aren't working or why things aren't the way that they used to be. And it's because our eyes have adjusted to the darkness. It's because our eye, we've been there long enough that our eyes have adjusted and we don't really feel like it's that big of a deal anymore. I like Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 11. It says this, For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Live as those who are native-born to the light. For the fruit, the effect, or the result of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn by experience what is pleasing to the Lord and letting your lifestyles be examples of what is most acceptable to Him. Your behavior expressing gratitude to God for your salvation. And check out verse 11. Do not participate in the worthless and unproductive deeds of darkness, but instead do what? Expose them. don't, Don't hang out in the darkness. Don't flirt around... with the darkness, but instead, expose it. Shine shine some light on it and expose it instead of hanging out and letting your eyes adjust and then starting to justify what you're doing and where you're at and the situations you're in and all of this. When your eyes adjust, it's going to be harder and harder and harder and harder and harder for you to get out. But if you will stay away and not participate and expose them, it makes a difference. Don't hide them, expose them. Why? Because you'll never find healing in the dark. You'll, you'll, never, you'll never find healing in the dark. It's not there. Even if your eyes have adjusted, you will not find healing in the dark. So you can't hang out in the dark and expect to be healed. You can't hang out in the dark and expect that everything's just going to work out. 
You can't hang out in the dark and expect that you're going to get all that God has for your life and for your relationships and for your marriage and for your family because healing is not in the dark. You cannot find it in the dark. And I'm just being honest. There are times when I have to just sit down with somebody and just kind of get some stuff out. Why why do you why do we have to sit down sometimes and just get some stuff out and just you know what get somebody else's perspective on what I'm feeling, what I'm going through, what I'm struggling with so that they can encourage me and the reason I do that and the reason you need to do that is because I don't want to stay there. I don't I don't want to stay there forever. I don't like that. I don't want to be there forever. Sometimes you just have to expose the things that are in the dark. Shame grows in the dark. Healing happens in the light. The longer you stay in the dark, the more and more shame you're going to feel, the more and more that you're going to become okay with things. And then, and then this is what the enemy does. The enemy tells you at first, well, it's okay. You know, God will forgive you, and grace is big enough. And don't you remember hearing that and all this? And just go ahead and do it. And then after you do it, he'll turn around and he'll tell you, nope, sorry, that was too far. It's all right. You can just go ahead and just just go ahead and cross that line, and then it's not going to be that big of a deal for you to step back over. It's just one time, and you can just step back over the line. And then as soon as you step over the line, the enemy is like, whew, you can't go back now. You just screwed it all up. You just messed it all up. He'll tell you whatever he needs to tell you to get you to do it, and then as soon as you do it, he'll condemn you and shame you for doing it. As soon as you cross over the line. Paul, he even writes in Ephesians that God's standard for purity is actually pretty high. In Ephesians 5, 3, it says this, But among you there must not be even a hint. Come on, everybody say hint. There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity. Not even a hint. Not even a little bit. Not even just a one time. Not even just, well, I'm going to step over here and then I'll just step back tomorrow. Not even, not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. What is impurity? It's like poison. It's like poison in your life. And what do you do with poison? You stay away from poison. We try to get our kids to stay away from poison. Well, you don't want to go near that. That's, you know, that's no, 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 no we're trying to kill that animal, you know. <laughs> stay out of the backyard for a few days, you know, we're trying to, no, I'm just kidding. We're, we, we try to keep the people that we love away from poison. We try to keep ourselves away from poison because we don't want to be poisoned. But why do we allow ourselves to be poisoned in this area of our life, but in every other area of our life, we're trying to stay away from poison? Well, I don't really, I don't really want to be in debt, but when it comes to my relationship and my marriage, I'll just kind of flirt with the poison. And we have all these areas of our lives we don't want, we don't want to be messing with the poison. We stay away from it. But this one sometimes is a little bit hard for us. So we'll say that we're not supposed to commit adultery. And here's, here's the adultery line. And we're like, whew, I can't, can't step over that line. There's the adultery line. If I step over, if I step over that line, then I'm just going to fall. And so I'm going to stay back here because here's the adultery line. And what we don't realize is that we're so focused on the adultery line or whatever you want to fill in the blank with here that we don't realize that the sin line actually started way back here 
and we're so focused on, you know, not falling off a cliff with the, with the adultery line or the, the worst case scenario, if you will, and we don't, we don't realize that, man, the, the sin line actually started way back here. Way before you ever cross the adultery line, you cross all these other lines on your way. And then you're here, and I can't, whew, I can't fall over that one, and so we're trying really hard, and oh, it's so, and the reason it's so hard, and we're rocking back and forth, and we're like, man, I can't get over it, I can't do it, I can't, like, okay, better come back over here, it's because we've already crossed all of these lines on the way to this one thing that we think is the worst case scenario, and we've, we've adjusted to the darkness. Your eyes have adjusted every time you have crossed a line. Here's what, here's what Jesus said. This is how we can know this is true. In Matthew 5, he said, You have heard that it was said you must not commit adultery. You've heard that this is the line. Don't cross it. This is what you've been taught. This is the line. Don't cross it. But then in verse 28, he says, But I tell you that if a man looks at a woman and wants to sin sexually with her, he has already committed that sin with her in his mind. So you mean to tell me that I was taught not to cross this line and Jesus shows up on the scene and he backs it up. And he says, really the line is way back here. Because when you look at somebody lustfully, you've already done that with them in your heart. And so when we're so focused on this, we don't realize that the sin line is way way, way, way back here. It's the first time that you saw someone walk by you at the gym or at the store and you looked at them. And you know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about looking at them. I'm talking about looking at them. <laughs> and somebody walks past you and you and you stare for a minute and then, and then you, you know, refocus and, and get back on, you know, what we were doing or whatever. That's the line. That's the line. Because once you cross over that line, then it's a little bit easier to cross over this line. And then it's a little bit easier to cross over this line. And a little bit easier. Well, it doesn't seem so dark anymore. My eyes have adjusted. And then I walk up on this line and I think, oh, my gosh. I can't go over that line. I can't do that. I can't, I can't, I can't do the, the worst case scenario. But we've already crossed over all these lines on the way to that one thing. Many of us would say that it's really not that big of a deal. Well, I'm just looking. Well, we're not like we're not even talking. Well, you know, it's just we had we just have to work together. I mean, that's just the way that's just the way it is. We have to work together. You know, she has to come into my office. He has to come into my office. You know, we have to spend extended periods of time together. You know, it's not really that big of a deal. There's nothing going on. It's not that big of a deal. There's no harm in what I'm doing, and looking has never hurt anyone. But in actuality, it really is a big deal when you realize where the sin line starts. See, we don't think it's a big deal because we don't realize where the line starts. 
we're focused on this line, and as long as I can do whatever I want to do, and it's really not that big of a deal as long as I cross over that line, but it becomes a big deal when you realize that the line is way back here. So many times our eyes have adjusted to the darkness, and we're heading in a direction we really won't like when we get there. Proverbs 5.8 says, stay away from the woman who commits adultery. Don't even go near her house. And I know all these, you know, when the Bible was written and it was this thing, men and women, and, and so it's really focused on men and stuff. But I would say it like this. Don't go near the temptation. Don't go near the temptation. Stay away from it. You see, here's, we don't, if, if this is the poison and this is what's going to be, this is the line we don't we don't walk up to them like woo oh woo man I missed that one <laughs> I'm glad that's not what it's saying it's saying that if this is the temptation and this is the line then I'm walking way over here and I'm not even going near what could suck me in and lead me down a path that I don't want to be on and when I get there I'm gonna wish I hadn't done it anyway. That's why you got to stay away from the temptation. We don't tiptoe around sin. We stay away from it. And you can write this down this morning. Why would I try to resist a temptation in the future that I have the power to eliminate today? Come on, that was better than you're responding. <clears throat> Y'all going to have to help me out more than that. Why would I try to resist a temptation in the future that I have the power to eliminate today. Why am I going to wait? <laughs> Why am I going to wait until I get all the way up here to this line and then try to resist when I can eliminate it all way back here? Why am I going to try to resist something later that I can eliminate right now? So how do we live it out? This vow of purity. I love what... David asks a question, and he answers this question. And so we're going to read this in Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. He says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? Basically, how in the world can we pull this off? In the world that we live in, how in the world can this happen? How in the world can I, can I actually live out the vow of purity? He goes on, he says, by living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. In verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have hidden your word in my heart. Now, some of you right now are thinking, like, really, we're going to the Bible? Yeah, we're going to the Bible. <laughs> because that's where it's at. And here's what, here's what I want you to get. How do, we, how do we live a life of purity? We live according to God's word. Here's the second question. How can we live according to God's word? We have to know it. So I'm asking you today, do you know it? Do you know it? Do you know what God says about you? Do you know what he's promised you? Do you know, do you know that what you have in him is better than what you would get in that situation? Because if you don't know it, you'll keep crossing line after line after line after line. And David said, David said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So to me that says, here's the key. I got to get his word in my heart 
because that's what's going to keep me from crossing the line. So if I'm not in the Word, and I don't know what God says about me, and I don't know, I don't know what the standard is, and I don't know, I don't know what God has promised me, and I don't really know that, that what God has for me is better than that because that feels better or that seems better, then you'll keep crossing line after line after line. But the moment that you begin to hide God's word in your heart and you begin to memorize it and you get it in you so that you don't even have to open your Bible to quote it, that when temptation comes, you can just say, nope, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, and I'm not going there. You got to hide it. You got to hide it in your heart. I'm not... I'm not saying that you just reading your Bible is bad. That's really, really good. That's a good place to start. But you got to start to get it in here. Because when you get it in here, David says, that's what's going to keep me from sinning and crossing the line is when I get it in here. It has to be something we do every single day. And here's the reason why. As we seek God, our hearts conform to him. We could say it like this, garbage in, garbage out, God in, God out. Whatever you're putting in is going to come out. And you may not think it right now, but at some point, whatever you're putting in is going to come out. So what are you putting in? Garbage in, garbage out, God in, God out. And I want to invite you to run through a little exercise as we wrap up today in your mind, and I want you to lock this in your mind. I want to go ahead and invite the worship team to come back up. I want you to lock this in. So I want you to do this. Let's close our eyes, because that's how we can best envision something. Everybody, close your eyes. Don't worry about the person that's next to you. They're not going to take anything out of your purse. <laughs> and I want you to imagine for just a moment that you do step over that line. Okay? Let's just go there in our minds for a moment that you do step over the line. And I want you to think ahead, and I want you to visualize what that will mean and what that will cost you. That when I step over that line, what is that going to mean, and what is that going to cost me? And here's what I believe. Number one, stepping over that line would break the heart of God. And the relationship that you've, you've built with him and that you've been working toward and the intimacy you've had with him, it'll break his heart when you step over that line. Here's the second thing. It could ruin a good reputation. So where, I, I don't know where you are, but maybe, maybe you're you know, in a place of influence and stepping over that line could cost you your influence. It could cost you your job. It could cost you whatever it is that you do. And then I want you to think for a moment, for those of us that have kids, if you were to step over that line, then you would, you would eventually have to sit down and you would, have to, you would have to explain what's going on. And you would have to explain what you did. And then you would have to come face to face with your spouse. And you would have to look at them and see the person that you committed your life to broken, 
and hurting because you crossed a line. It seemed harmless, but you crossed a line. And I want you to just lock that in for a moment because I want you to get that picture in your mind so that from this day forward, we won't go there. We can't do anything about the past. But from today forward, we can make decisions. From this moment forward, we can do it the right way. And here's the good news. The good news is that while adultery is grounds for divorce, adultery is also grounds for forgiveness. And so if you've been if you've been through that in your marriage or your relationship or at some point in the past, while it is grounds for divorce, it's also grounds for forgiveness. It's also grounds to forgive somebody. And here's even better news today that we serve a God of grace. We serve a God of grace. Proverbs 28:13 says, "Whoever hides their sins will not be successful, but whoever confesses their sins and stops doing wrong will receive mercy." And so today, if you realize that you're that there's some area of your life you're you're standing like you're you're messing with the darkness. Even though you're in the light, you've given your life to Jesus, you're a believer, you're a Jesus follower, you're a Christian, but you've 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 stepped into darkness in any area of your life, what I want to invite you to do is to step back into the light and receive God's grace and mercy. It's just a step. It's just a step. It's just a step. And what do we do? Will you stand with me all over the room? We confess our sins to God for forgiveness. And we confess our sins to people for healing. We confess our sins to God for forgiveness. And we confess our sins to people for healing. So in this series, God is my one, my spouse is my two. I promise to always pursue my two. I promise that our marriage will be about we and not about me. And I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. And I want to leave you with this and then we're going to pray. It says, if you want what few people have in marriage, you have to do what few people do. If you want what only a few people have in marriage, then you have to do what only a few people are willing to do. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? Maybe you're here today and you, you haven't taken that first step. And you haven't, you haven't given your life to Jesus. But you know today there's just something inside of you. You know this is the decision that you need to make. And all I want to do is we want to pray with you. We're going to pray this prayer together here in just a moment. And, and just in support of you and the best decision that you can make. But if that's you and you're here today and you say, you know what, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. I don't want to do it my way anymore. My way's not working. I want to I give my life to him. I want to do things God's way. Will you just slip your hand up where you are? 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Here's the next thing I want to ask. If you, if you desire to honor God with a life of purity, you're here today and you say, well, you know what? This was for me. And from this moment forward, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor God with a life of purity. This is the decision. This is my desire. If that's you, will you just raise your hand right where you are? Hands all over the room. Well, you, should be, you should be proud to raise your hand. That from today forward, I'm going to honor God with my life. With everything that I do, I'm going to honor him. I'm going to honor him. If you raised your hand to give your life to Jesus, I want us all to pray this prayer together. Just pray this. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your life for me. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I receive your forgiveness today. Live inside of me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I thank you for saving me. Help me to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we